I want you to find Jeremiah this morning, Jeremiah 29 in your copy of the scripture. The, uh, the theme passage for Vacation Bible School this year is verses 11 through 14. But I want us to back up and begin in verse 1 and capture there the heart of Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. And I'm going to be talking this morning on the subject matter, treasures beneath the surface. Treasures beneath the surface. Keeping in, in uh, line with our theme for the week of Destination Dig. Treasures beneath the surface. Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 1. It says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisah, son of Shephan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. It certainly teaches us that all may not necessarily be well in life on the surface. 
because you take us through times of discipline, times of trial for a reason and a purpose. But God, we do stand on that promise in Romans 8, 28, that in all things you work together for the good of those who love you. You give us a future and a hope. And we see that here in Jeremiah 29. Lord, help us to be patient in the midst of the dark world In the midst of our circumstances, may we keep our eyes on Jesus and be found faithful in whatever environment you put us in. God, I pray that through this text, you would speak to our hearts this morning, challenge us, and bring conviction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At the turn of the 18th century, Charles IV, King of Spain, knew that Napoleon could not be stopped from his march across Europe. It was clear to him that Napoleon would claim the Spanish crown by force, and when he did so, he would also gain all of the Spanish treasures. And so Charles asked his most trusted advisor to hide the great treasures of the Spanish crown. This wise and trusted advisor and friend buried a priceless collection of antique clocks in a wall of the 365-room palace where the Spanish monarchy lived. Then he also hid the valuable Spanish crown jewels in another wall of the castle. Now to ensure that the jewels could be uncovered at a later date, the advisor then cut off a very small piece of fabric from the draperies of the rooms in which the treasures were buried. Well, Napoleon did indeed take over Spain and he established his brother Joseph on the throne as ruler. But in 1814, Joseph's rule was cut off when Ferdinand VII, son of Charles, mustered enough support to reclaim the Spanish crown. Ferdinand returned to the monarchy's palace knowing the secret of the crown jewels and the antique clocks. Determined to find them, he brought the swaths of cloth which had been secretly held by his father's trusted friend in order to use them as a road map to the treasures. But unfortunately, he discovered that Napoleon's older brother Joseph had been somewhat of an amateur interior decorator. All of the paper and paints and carpets and draperies and all of the rooms had been changed out. And so Ferdinand was faced with the choice of breaking down through the plaster walls in each of the 365 rooms or just simply letting the treasure lie there until hopefully some later year it would be discovered. And that's what he chose to do. Well, almost everybody thought this was just an old European urban legend until a few decades ago. 
a plumber was working on the pipes in one of the rooms of the Spanish palace. Breaking through the plaster wall in one of those rooms, he stumbled onto the large collection of valuable antique clocks. The discovery was hailed throughout Spain. It was like the discovery of a national treasure. And now someday, somebody is going to stumble into another room, digging through a wall to fix a pipe or whatever, and discover likewise the crown jewels. And it'll be an exhilarating moment, finding a treasure beyond measure. Folks, there's just something fascinating about thinking about discovering buried treasure, right? It's the subject matter of TV shows, of movies. I mean, who, who doesn't think of Indiana Jones going after the lost ark? All types of books and movies telling stories of, of buried treasure or hidden treasure being discovered. You know, we even find by, uh, stories like this in the Bible. I think of Jesus telling a, a parable in Matthew 13 about a day laborer working out in a field one day and he, dis he discovers buried treasure. And in excitement, Jesus said, he goes and sells everything that he has so he can return and buy that field and possess the treasure along with it. As we look at Jeremiah 29, I want you to see a bit of a twist to, to this same theme. You know, sometimes in Scripture there's a message behind the message. There'll be a treasure that God has in store that may not be apparent at first. Jeremiah has a difficult word for the leaders and for the people, but in the end... It's a treasure of hope for the people and for the nation. It'd be like looking at a treasure that is tarnished. It's nothing to see, but then after care and attention, one discovers a brilliant treasure. We're also going to see this week in VBS that this, is, that this whole thing ties in in a wonderful way with the New Testament message about the person and work of Jesus Christ. He was born into less than ideal surroundings and circumstances. He was oftentimes misunderstood and mocked and rejected. But there was so much more beneath the surface of what many people could see. He'd come to seek and to save the lost. And to give his life as a ransom for our sins. But even this was not the end. Because on the third day he would be raised to life. He would ascend back to the Father. And one day he will return to call his children home to be with him for all of eternity. And so whether it's the message about Jeremiah. And the message he had for the people of Judah. Or whether it's what we see demonstrated in the life of Christ, God has treasures beneath the surface. But the question is, do you and I have eyes to see and ears to hear? Now from the first ten verses this morning in Jeremiah 29, I want you to see the message no one wants to hear. 
the message no one wants to hear. Look at what Jeremiah had to say to him here, beginning there in verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and, and eat what they produce. He goes on to tell them very clearly from, from verse 10 and following, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. Now the context of this is Jeremiah 27 and 28. I would ask you this afternoon on your own to go back and read those two previous chapters. Because in those two chapters you'll see what the false prophets were telling the people. They were saying, hey, don't worry at all about the exile. You're only going to be in Babylon for two short years and then you're going to come back home. And when you come back home you're going to bring all the temple treasures with you. In fact, God had instructed Jeremiah to put a yoke around his neck. It was a yoke probably like they would put on oxen back at that time. And God's message to the people uh, was that they were going to serve Nebuchadnezzar. They were going to be under his yoke and they were not to rebel. God said any nation that rebels against him because he's my servant for now for a purpose and anybody that rebels against him, any nation that rebels against Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar will be destroyed and the yoke that Jeremiah wore was a symbol of this but the false prophet Hananiah went over to Jeremiah he broke the yoke off of his neck and he said to everybody don't believe this we will not be servants to Nebuchadnezzar we're going home soon and we're going to take all of our treasures with us and how did Jeremiah respond? He said, uh, he said, Hananiah, I wish what you were saying was the truth. I wish it was the truth. But you're prophesying lies. And because you're prophesying lies, you're going to die. And then in verse, uh, verse 17 of chapter 28, we see indeed that God put the prophet Hananiah to death. God took his life. And so in response, chapter 29, what we see here is, is Jeremiah writing a letter to the leaders and the people, giving them instructions, and we're going to look at the details of that letter a little bit later on. But what Jeremiah is telling them is that they'll be exiles in a foreign land for the next 70 years. In other words, many of them will never see their homes again. They will die in a foreign land. Now folks, this was certainly not what anybody in the exile wanted to hear. I mean, they were essentially being told, you're going to experience trials. You're going to experience suffering. You're going to be in a, in a tough environment. You're going to be serving a foreign king who will be oppressive. And that's all you've got to look forward to for the rest of your life. It's all you're ever going to know. Oftentimes people, God's people even, experience trials. 
Now we know that their trials in particular were disciplined from God. That was the purpose. God was disciplining them. Because they had lived in idolatry and disobedience to God year after year after year. And even though God had sent prophets to them to warn them and call them back to himself, they didn't. They kept on in their stubborn ways. And so God was sending them into exile, a foreign land, under an oppressive regime where they would experience trials and this in and of itself would be God's discipline of the nation of of Judah. You know, on the surface, we may not understand discipline. But as we dig down deeper to understand it, We read in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 that God actually disciplines those whom he knows. That that discipline in and of itself shows that we are his children. Because if you don't experience discipline, the writer of Hebrews says you're illegitimate children. And so on the surface it seems harsh. But underneath is the treasure of the love of God at work in your life. Amen? Also on the surface, trials are not pleasant either. But as we dig down, what do we find? The New Testament tells us God sends trials to to develop maturity and character and hope in us. James talks about that. Peter in 1 Peter talks about trials being like what they would do with gold. How they would put it under extreme heat and they would melt the dross off of the top and keep pouring it off until what emerged was pure gold. And and Peter says that's the purpose of trials that God's doing. So on the surface trials seem ugly. And very unwanted. But underneath, trials are a beautiful blessing and treasure in the long run. Even if we don't see it at the moment. What might you be going through right now that's not pleasant? Maybe you're in a deep valley. You're experiencing trials. Maybe God's even using those trials to discipline you in some way. And it's, it's not pleasant. It's unpleasant. It's never what you would have chosen. But God is using all of that for a purpose that you can't see yet. Folks, if we believe in the sovereignty of God, which we do, then God has a purpose with anything that comes into your life. Anything. Just like the people of Judah, we need to submit to those trials and to that discipline because God is maturing us and purifying us. I would hate to believe that things just happen by fate or coincidence. Those who believe that would say that you and I are just falling back on God as a crutch, believing that God is using hard times. They they might say that this is just a false hope that we've made up in the church. 
But no, we're, we're not falling back on some kind of false hope made up because God plainly tells us in his word that this is how he works. This is what he does. He knows all of our days before we live even the first one of them. David says in Psalm 139 and Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that he has all the hairs on your head numbered. You see, things are not always the way they seem at first. This will be Jeremiah's message to them as well. The next 70 years are going to be tough. It's not what they would want. But then we come to verses 11 to 14 and we find that God has a purpose. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good and not for evil. You'll seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart and I'm going to bring you back to this land. But in the meantime, he was purifying his people. Do you realize after they got back home from that 70-year exile, once they got back home, idolatry, at least as they had practiced it earlier, idolatry was largely not an issue anymore. God had purified the people. And so we need to somehow see what God may be up to. It's far easier to listen to messages of goodness and hope. Think, about, think again about the positive messages of the false prophets in Jeremiah 27 and 28. But what were these positive messages? They were lies. And God said, I've not sent these prophets to tell you this. They're lies. What Hananiah is telling you, it's a lie. Now, how does this relate to us today? Well, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 that men will turn away from sound doctrine and they'll accumulate teachers who tickle their ears. You know, we tend to want to hear what we want to hear, don't we? Hey, we just we want encouragement. We want good news. We don't want to hear difficult words or difficult challenges. We, we just want fun. We want entertainment. We want to hear good things. And that's what Paul tells Timothy is going to happen. And that's why he says at the opening verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4, Timothy, you're to preach the word in season and out of season, when it's convenient and when it's not. And if it's a time for an encouragement, yes, encourage the people and give them good news. But if it's time for rebuke and correction, give them that. Give them the whole counsel of God. People need to be told the truth, the good, the bad, the ugly. Jeremiah's message was not one that the people wanted to hear, but it was one that they needed to hear. And it's the same with us. And so again, as believers, we need to go by passages like 2 Timothy 3 and 4 to preach the word, good and bad. We need to hear from God, even if it's not the message at the time that we want to hear or would like to hear. The second thing I want you to see this morning, a message of life in the midst of darkness. 
from verses 4 to 7. In his letter to the elders, Jeremiah tells them to build homes, to marry, to carry on business. In other words, settle down in a dark world. You're not coming out alive. They would be there 70 years. Imagine that. Israel and Judah has been their home. That was the promised land, the land God gave them. And they'd taken control of the land back in the days of Joshua. But they're being told here, most of you will never see home again. But they're not to give up. They're to be the best servants of God they can be in a difficult setting and in a foreign land. Now here again on the surface, to live in a culture like Babylon was not ideal. But digging deeper, we see that God was not abandoning them. God would use them in a foreign land. I mean, look for example at how he used Daniel. He ended up using Daniel as an official in Nebuchadnezzar's court. So Jeremiah tells them they're to work for the good of the land because as the land prospered, so would they prosper. Folks, you and I need to see God doesn't have us in some kind of protective bubble. You know, you might feel like you're in a world of darkness, a place of darkness. And you know, as Moses said in Psalm 90, God's given us 70 years in a world of darkness. Three score and ten. But you know, there can be life and light here. Amen? Maybe God has you in a difficult marriage. But remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You can be a sanctifying influence in your marriage and home. Maybe God has you in a difficult workplace. But there are people there who need your witness. God may provide something different for you one day, but why does he have you where he has you for today? You see, wherever God places us, we need to understand passages like Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Jesus said, you, looking at his disciples, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. You and you alone are the light of the world. Regardless of how things might be in society, we're to live as good citizens. And now, if we're told to obey men rather than God, we are to obey God. But as long as those lines aren't being crossed, we are to be obedient citizens. And we're to work for the good of society. That's why Christians in the past have built schools and hospitals and orphanages and, and homes for the aged and the less fortunate. We know that this world is not our home and yet we are not to give up on this world. Peter also reminds believers in 1 Peter 2 that, that we are like 
strangers in a foreign land. We're like strangers in the night. And we're to live in such a way that the enemy won't be able to come up with a single accusation against us. Don't kid yourself that life is always going to be easy in a fallen world. Jeremiah got so depressed at one point, he was ready to quit the ministry and just walk away from it all. It didn't seem worth it. And so if anybody can understand your frustration, Jeremiah can. And let's not forget about Jesus. What's the writer of Hebrews say? He's our sympathetic high priest. He's been through everything you go through and yet without sin. And so when you go before him in prayer, he understands what you need at the time you need it. You see, God has certain treasures beneath the surface of what you and I can see at the moment. There's hope for the future. The third thing I want you to see is a message of deliverance one day. From verses 11 to 14. Look at these verses again. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back from captivity. They had a hope. Even if it would be their children and grandchildren who would be the recipients of it. God was going to bring them back one day. There, there would come a day that they would return. And we know that that's exactly what happened when the Medo-Persians defeated the Babylonians. The new Medo ruler by the name of Cyrus issued a decree for the Jews to go back home and rebuild their land and rebuild their temple. God promised them a new day. They would have a, a future as a nation and a people. Indeed, they would even be the people according to the flesh from whom the Messiah would come. They would call to him and he would hear. They would seek him and find him. You see, the past 70 years, they probably felt as though God is distant and silent but there is a better day coming for the people of God and it will be a great day of hope and revival and renewal they may not like the period of exile as they look back on it but they emerged as a renewed people and again best of all out of this renewed people one day the Messiah would come and just as God had said to Abraham from your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed and indeed that's exactly what's come to pass uh, Jesus the Messiah is not just for the Jew but he's also for the Gentile And there's a future hope for us as God's people who are in Christ. What did Jesus say? In my Father's house are many mansions. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. That where I am, there you may be also. And who can forget those passages in the book of Revelation? Revelation 5 verse 9 and following. And they sang a new song saying, You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth and then you go over to Revelation 21 and you find that God is making a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells and all the previous suffering will be gone forever things may not always be so obvious and clear in our world today but one day the treasure that God has waiting for his people will be fully seen John says in 1 John chapter 3 we will be like him for we will see him as he is now before we close today I want you to see what this passage shows the people of God today these words in Jeremiah obviously address to the people of Judah but these words show that God has a holy jealousy for his people he will not tolerate sin and idolatry in the lives of his children As Charles Spurgeon once said, he does not allow his children to sin successfully. He refines us and purifies us. That's what he does with his people. If we respond properly to trials and discipline, we see a new day of renewal and hope. And so what's our challenge now? To persevere in a dark world. To live in hope. To never give up waiting upon the Lord and calling upon Him. Don't get discouraged and give up and quit serving. Don't do that. Remember, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And one day, he will finish what he started. It's just like God told Job. Job, were you there when I created the great creatures of the deep? Were you there when I placed the sun in its place or the moon or the stars? Were you there when I formed the galaxies and the, and the constellations? God told Job essentially, I know what I'm doing and I know how to do it. You don't and Job, I'm not even obligated to tell you. Job, you just need to trust me. I'm God and you're not. And folks, we need to do the same. Trust Him. He's God and we're not. And one day, the treasures He has for us will be uncovered. But even now, through Christ, you can know God. You can be reconciled to Him. And He'll prepare you for what's to come. But you've got to look to Him.
in Him alone. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no salvation apart from Christ. Come to Him today. Seek Him and call upon Him. Colossians 2.3 says of Christ, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that's what you'll discover. Maybe you're going through a trial. Or going through God's discipline. That's His purpose maybe in the trial. What would God have you to do? How would He have you to respond so that you emerge as gold it's been purified. Trust Him. And lay that difficult thing at His feet. Say, God, I have no idea what you're doing. I have no idea, but I know you're at work. I trust in you. Father, we thank you for this passage. Wonderful passage of hope. Honest about present difficulties that might go on for a long period of time. But if we're in Christ and He's in us, difficult times and circumstances do not have the final say. You do. Sometimes you even put us in those difficult moments so that your grace and glory will shine more brightly to those around us who need to see. Lord, I pray for that one right now who needs to seek you and call upon you and come to you. Give them the courage to do so. For believers, help us to be patient and wait on the Lord because you're God and we're not. Help us to trust you with everything in life that we experience. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I'll be here to pray with you. Would you stand please?